0: Good evening, Patriots. Today is Monday, December 19th, week of Christmas. East Coast, you just hit the 20th, Tuesday, one day closer. It's a nice week. It's a week to celebrate with the intent of the birth of Christ. I know that there's a lot of discussions about the true date of of the birth of Christ and the celebration of Christ, but it's all the intent because these people want you to strip away your joy, And they want to make this their holiday, which I got news ain't happening at all. Patriots, before we begin tonight, do take time and uh, make sure that you're taking good care of your supplies at home. There's a lot of chaos in the world. Patriots, if you haven't heard, we're heading into the worst diesel fuel shortage in 70 years. And that's a big problem, because if truckers can't get enough fuel, grocery stores could go empty. You need to stock up now on emergency food. Visit MyPatriotSupply.com and grab a special offer from Supply, the nation's largest preparedness company. You'll save 25% on their four-week emergency food kit with a wide variety of breakfasts, lunches, dinners, drinks, and snacks that provide over 2,000 calories a day, for strength and energy. My Patriot Supply wants to help American families more by charging less. So go to mypatriotsupply.com and you'll save 25% on their 4-week emergency food kit. Order enough to get your family through the difficult times ahead, at least one kit per person in your home. Go to mypatriotsupply.com and grab all the 4-week kits you need. mypatriotsupply.com. Patriots food is security, both mentally and spiritually. And the time to prepare is now. Oh, yeah. Get that food stocked up. Make sure you're solid in your preps. We don't know what's coming. And so we're doing our best to try to juggle and, and judge and gauge. And obviously, the number one thing that we have to deal with are, is our spiritual health and our physical health. Some strange reports coming out of China tonight, which I'm going to read a little bit of this. This was a Twitter thread I stumbled across. It's quite interesting. Um, essentially, what has happened in China, apparently, and I'm just, uh, I don't know who this Eric a <laughs> nice name. Anyway, he's apparently an uh, uh, epidemiologist, and he's been former 16 years of Harvard. That doesn't tell me much other than possible deep state troll. However, what he's reporting is that china and now that they've gone off this zero covid policy that 60% over 60% of the of china is getting sick and that they anticipate 10% of the earth's population to be sick with this flu there is a flu going around right now but i think we can all pretty much look at this and agree that it's a flu it's Whatever is causing it, it's definitely finding its home at those that took the vax. And we anticipated this. Of course, the narrative is going to be turned against us because these people want everybody to be in panic and they want everybody to, to get a shot so they can control them. Ultimately, I think their end goal is to break humanity down so far with so much fear and so much constant cycling. And we live in a pretty interesting bubble. And as we've non- not taken the injection, as we've stepped away from that, as we've put our faith deeply in our love in Jesus and our relationship with God and taken the initiatives to boost our health, our health our health immune systems, and this is actually an old quote from Dr. Eric Naputi, are like superhuman. We literally are enduring these things without much bump in the road. You might get a little sore throat. You might get a little sick. I've seen some people talk about that. But it passes quickly, where these other people are being waylaid by this. And this is part of their agenda. Now, also today, so I guess I should read a little bit, like I said, of this. It, it, that was part of it. The infection they're saying was over the last, over the next 90 days, they're inspecting a lot. But more than that, there's a couple little things about this infection that is part of the way they're running it in China. And my anticipation is they're doing the same here. Now, just so I say it, I have absolutely no trust of any photographs coming out of hospitals in China and the U.S. Most of these things are staged events. So this is very possible. Everything we're hearing in China is just more garbage of them trying to incite fear because that's where they started this nonsense last time. And it was all most of it was fake so I don't put a lot of weight in it. What I do say though, is the likelihood of people getting sick in China is possible for the simple reason that they have been locked down so much. They haven't had their normal immune system boosting and they've been stressed so much that it's pretty easy to get something going and it wouldn't take much. And if we're following, as I agree with Dr. Merritt, this is not viral. This is parasitic. So when we frame the world in terms of parasites, we start to realize that everything that they do is parasitic. And I, and this is kind of the center point of our talk tonight because it's, we live in, when we live in the relationship with, with God, we live in a fulfilling restorative relationship that deals in everything. That's justice. That's forgiving heart. That's loving. That's prosperity of unlimitedness of unlimited potential it is an egalitarian world. It's not a socialist, communist, egalitarian world like these fools want to tell you here. It's not a hive mind world, but it is a world rich with restoration and regeneration and, and growth. That's God's world. This world is one of restrictive resources, repression, pain, tyranny, death. This is the cycle. So everything they do is to take the perfect creation, us. We're made in God's image. And to we live in a world that is completely parasitic. And the more that we engage in this world, the more we find it's parasitic. So let me give an example. Taxes are parasitic. You work hard to get money. You transfer your actual physical energy into something you get back, which is paper. It has no real value. And then they're going to put a tax on that to take more of it away as you earn more of it. That's a parasitic relationship. They We live in a world where justice is punitive and parasitic. So the punitive part is we want it to be punished. We want people to be punished. And ideally in our our cycle of justice, we seek greater pain than they caused us. And the parasitic part of that is the constant threat of obedience. Because if we don't obey, then they will get us and they will entrap us and we'll pay a suffering price. So it's always draining ourselves through worry of compliance. Our medicine is parasitic. It's designed to wear us down so that we become, we're not treated to to become healthy, and the mechanisms that they use are all designed to wear the immune system down. Everything about the world we're in is parasitic. Ec- politics is parasitic. They raise your hopes up, and then they do nothing, and they drain your energy down of hope. So on constantly a world in framing that is parasitic. That leaves us with the challenge to have to make a decision on which way we're going to walk. That's, for me, that's one of those critical junctures in the valley of decision. And in that juncture, we have to make a decision. I mean, are we going to walk in a parasitic world or are we going to walk in a restorative and loving world of God? And that, to me, is all based on mindset, primarily. And that then builds off of that as spiritual renewal and spiritual health, physical health. And lifestyle health. I mean, there's a lot of things about that. So we, what we eat, how we live, how we exercise, how we pray, those active things and how much we're willing to digest, internalize and live in this parasitic world, which hopefully the more that we've worked through this over the last two solid years, coming up on three actually they were been able to shift away and i think that's what m- makes the big distinction between those that are surviving well right now and those that are going to diminish and i think there's going to be a very heavy toll come because the motive behind china right now and it's pretty openly stated even in their own writings is what they are going to do is they're going to they're backing off of what they call zero covid and zero covid was just another form of tyranny to wear its population down and it was a setup from the beginning Because what they're trying to do is to get people to comply 100%, which they knew they would not. They know they would agitate and they would get pissed off and then they would go into a a revolt and a type of revolution, which they're doing now. And then as Chinese experience chaos and with this comes the immune systems that are broken down because of the shots, because of all this testing, because of all the stuff they put in in them. Now they get a, a mass explosion of flu or whatever it is, who knows. And I mean, any of this, keep in mind, too, this stuff can be actuated by 5G. We know that, right? So we don't even know the full gamut of the science they're using on these people as science, the technologies, I should say. And so people get sick. And then what they do is they come in and they say, see what happens when you don't listen to us? And as people have witnessed sickness and death, then they are worn down and they're like, okay, master, I agree. You were right after all. We will comply, and they break them. This is what this is the world plan. Don't kid yourself. And I want to emphasize this because this actually came out in a. It looks like about an eight, um, eight tweet thread by Archbishop Carl Maria Vigano. If you remember, he was on the show about two years ago. And by the way, I have reached out to him. I haven't been able to get him back on the show. I hope to at some point. I'll try him again. But let me continue. I want to read this tweet thread for you to kind of give you a framing of what we're dealing with with this enemy we're confronting. I think one of the greatest um, things we have to be careful of, and it's very pervasive, is this idea that there's going to be, and I've said it a lot, and I'm going to reinforce it a lot, that there's going to be a sudden Immediate shift and all things are going to get better. We're in for a long haul here. And I don't care even if you do have some form of a military takeover, martial law, the restoration of the moral foundation of America and of the world is going to be a long, long walk because so many people have been inoculated and embedded into a thinking that's just a lie, but they believe it as an ideology, as a worship, and worse, it's a religion. So let me read this from Carl, uh, Archbishop uh, Vigano. He starts out, at the G20 Bali Summit, which just happened, and that's where they signed, and Biden signed as well, the giving up of every American's right for international free travel, meaning that now if you're going to travel internationally, you're going to have to get a shot. And you have to have a current CDC pass because they're squeezing it in. They're, They're working like a like a constrictor so if americans now and whenever this takes effect which i believe is after the first of the year as americans travel you have to have a current covid what they're calling a covid passport or whatever they're however they're referring to that a digital passport that has to be updated with the most current cdc requirements so if the cdc says you need a rabies shot which is for real i had to get one going to afghanistan so if you have to get a rabies vaccine, you had to get a you have to get a mRNA shot, you have to get 16 COVID boosters, whatever, you have to have all of that based on the CDC requirements before you can travel, and then your destination may have additional requirements and you're gonna to have to be up to date on their shots too. So this is what they've now put in place. And so continuing with this, at the G twenty Bali summit, Klaus Schwab instructed heads of government almost all coming from the young global leaders for tomorrow program of the world economic forum about the future steps to be taken in view of establishing a world government. The president of a very powerful private organization with enormous economic means exercises, undue power over world governments, obtaining their obedience from political leaders who have no popular mandate to subject their nations to the delusions of power of the elite the fact is of this fact is of unprecedented gravity klaus schwab said in the fourth industrial revolution the winners will take it all so if you are a world economic forum first mover you are the winners i want to stop there a minute basically what he's in Infusing is a competition between tyrants. So these leaders that are part of the World economic Forum that are there are being incentivized to accelerate their countries into a high level of fourth Industrial Revolution development, which means compliance with the VAX, Internet of Things, artificial intelligence, gene therapy and gene editing. Um, we have 3D printing, robotics, all these components are part of the fourth industrial revolution, which is in displacement of labor at a mass degree and a containment of the population under an absolute tyrannical control of digital tagging and tracking. So they've incentivized these leaders to be part of the world of the winners group, right? And saying that you can be part of the first mover You are the winners and winners means that there's going to, they're going to get unprecedented power over the people. They're turning the world into fiefdoms and kingdoms is what they're doing. They're eradicating in one bell swoop. They're just deciding for us that there will be no representative government of any kind. And unfortunately, as they keep the people in the state of fear and mass levels of stupidity, people will go along with this. This is how people are because people, unfortunately the majority of people are weak and I just want to just reference this biblically very quickly, just as I've said before, but I think it's important to put in context. In Exodus, when the Israelites were leaving Egypt and they were told that after the 10th plague, to mark with the blood of the lamb above the door, after the 10th plague, and they were spared to take the silver and the gold from, their, from the houses and to leave. But what we discover is even after the 10th the plague, and they've had all these plagues, they've suffered through, some they've been spared by, some they've suffered through. Even after the 10th plague, it's the masters that kick them out. That's the most phenomenal thing to me. It's like, dude, how many times do you have to be shown that God's telling you to get your butt up and leave? And they don't. They have to be coaxed to leave. It's the masters that say, get out or you shall kill us. So the the point of that story to me, which is so profound, is it's deep, deep within within human behavior. And human behavior is about complying with the mass. Now, when we look at this whole principle of Exodus, it's pretty phenomenal because we see the split of those that do finally obey, even if they're thrown out by their masters, they obey, even if they don't have a choice and they leave with Moses. Egyptians remain. That's what's interesting to me. You don't have Egyptians jumping on board going, "Yo, I want to get out of here with you." They stay. And we're in this we're in very much a form of an exodus right now. It is a you can call it a mental exodus, you can say it's a cultural exodus. There's a definite division happening. And this and they're they're trying to force mass compliance as we're pushing back saying, "Not a chance. This isn't going to happen." But it's the strength of the individual and what we've endured these last three years that God has really reinforced the strength within us in such a profound way and something that I think that we have to really honor well that we maybe don't enough, but to realize that we've gained a great deal more in ourselves than we've than maybe we have seen because this is a time that it's going to take more strength going forward. So we continue with this. Archbishop continues. These are very serious statements, and he's referring to the ones to be the first movers and the winners. These are very serious statements, have two implications. The first is that the winners will take it all and will be winners. It is not clear in what capacity and with whose permission. So I could answer that. It's not going to be with our permission. It will be within the permission of the elites in the economic order. And in the capacity of winners means that they will be literally kings and queens of the of their lands. That's very important. And what's interesting about this is long before we knew about Vigano or we knew the detail of the World Economic Forum, in a think group that I was with back in 2015 in looking at the trends of where things were going, we, pro- we projected this, that there would be that most of the leaders that we have in this nation were betraying us because they had been promised something greater this indicates that that's true. They were promised control over regions. You can see that in some of the governors. They were promised control over regions as total tyrants of these regions if they would accelerate this agenda. So he continues, the second of of his points is that those who do not adapt to this fourth industrial revolution will find themselves ousted and will lose. They will lose everything, including their freedom. Now, He's speaking of this from a national perspective, and I argue that this is an error because he's speaking from a national and a world leader position. So what he's saying is that when Klaus Schwab is talking to the leaders, he's telling the leaders that some of you will be winners and others of you will be losers, meaning that we will decide to take over your nation states. What is not in this equation whatsoever in the WEF is the power of the people. It's very important. Okay. In short, Klaus Schwab is threatening the heads of government of the 20 most industrialized nations in the world to carry out the programmatic points of the Great Reset in their nations. That includes us and this insidious communist insurgency we're dealing with. This goes far beyond the pandemic. It is a global coup d'etat against which it is essential that people rise up and that the still healthy organs of states start an international uh, judicial. juridical, juridical, juridical process, meaning juries and trials. The threat is imminent and serious since the World Economic Forum is capable of carrying out its subversive project and and those who govern nations have to become either enslaved or blackmailed by this international mafia. Here's what is always missing in these discussions. This is a very top level discussion. And the question that is presumed or the statement that's presumed in all of this is that the people are going to go along with it. Sadly, there's truth in that because people are a bunch of weak sheep and they are easily led off the cliff. But, this, but to get into some details of insurgency, which I think is very important, It only takes 3% of a population to stimulate an insurgency because the 3% will gain another 7% very quickly on of people that are willing to follow but didn't have the strength to lead in the fight. And once that 10% then, it's the 3% original, 7% follower starts to move, they will pick up an additional 20% over a short period of time on the same process of those that might have been on the fence and those that were perhaps... You know, not really sure what to do, but now that they see the momentum, they feel more strength and they join that movement. So it's very easy to establish a movement with 3% that grows by a factor of 10 to where you get 30% of a population. But it only takes 3%, hence the three percenters, the original idea, to literally win victory for a nation. What we're looking for right now, all of us in our hearts, we're saying, where's that 3%? And it's here. We just aren't looking at it the right way. We look across America right now, there's a lot of criticism, and I'm guilty of doing this. There's a lot of criticism to what isn't going on, and I've taken some time to really kind of re-anchor myself to my county. I love my county where I'm at. I grew up here. It's still the great people that have always been here, and I've had to kind of recalibrate a little bit in listening to where people are at, and this is what I'm discovering, and I don't think from the travels that I did for two months across the nation... And the travels that I continue to do down to Northern California and up and then throughout my county, this is what I'm, the conclusion I'm drawing. And I'm, this is also reinforced by the discussion I had, two hours of discussion with Dr. Frank yesterday and what he's doing across every county. I mean, he's literally in a, 25 to 30 states. He's got active cells working to validate vote voters. So he's in counties all the time. And so this is what the conclusion is that I'm arriving at. The conservative base of this nation is not loud and vocal. But what has happened increasingly across the last five and six years is a reinsurgence of the understanding of defiance. This is super important because this is the foundation of our nation. That means that in our counties, the bedrock has now been established for people to start standing up and working together. But we have to, in my opinion, avoid a couple of things. I don't think that coming out swinging with the discussions of child sex trafficking or anything Q or even politics is a way to make this thing work. Because politics are divisive. There's not enough facts on the child sex trafficking yet as a comprehensive case to present. And Q is Q. So I just say that. I also think that we are better off in our walk in life to be more like Jesus, and that is to walk into the world without having to proclaim a scripture and exactly where we sit, but to walk and live with the walk of Jesus and demonstrate it in our lives and that draw people in like moths to flame. That's my opinion. And it's what I'm advocating here more and more with groups I work with. So I'm I'm passing that on because I think there's a massive opportunity right now for us to build unbelievable cohesion and coalition and realize that we are a remnant. And as a remnant, it's extremely important to appreciate how powerful of a position we are and we are in because as people may have aversions towards the church in its exposure of what they've experienced, which is to a large degree, the the American corporate church institution is broken and it's sold it's sold heavily to the corporate structure rather than to the teachings of Christ. And of course like I always say there's good churches out there, there's small churches that are working hard, but there's a large bankruptcy within the corporate institution and the corporate church. That's just real and that's documentable. So it puts the the onus on us. And quite frankly, the burden that is on us is rather fantastic both in magnitude and in in scale and scope of what we can accomplish. In my town, I don't know what there is now. I'm going to say there's something like 40 or 50 churches in a 24,000 person town. And I think at one time when our population was down to like 16,000, I think we had like 80 churches or something. I mean, it was like, this is in the peak of the reborn movement in the 70s and 80s. So far, I've tracked down two pastors that are solid in this town. And that isn't to say the others are worthless, but it's two pastors that are understanding their role more as ecclesia leaders and as Black Robe Regiment members. They understand the importance of the church to talk current events and to relate scripture to current events. They understand the importance of the church to be involved in the lives and people's lives, in the things that influence the lives, including children. And they're taking action to do that. So I say all this because this is where opportunity exists, because as we start to work within this connection and we start to work in our communities, we become these sort of disciple emissaries to where we can build an awakening and a resilience to what's coming. So I go back to what Archbishop Vigano is pointing out. Yes, the world leaders from a top-down model are expecting the world to be obedient under them that will comply with these rules and willfully walk off the cliff and into the everlasting world of enslavement and there will be plenty that will follow but we need to be establishing the the defiant line of who won't and building that base up i am in no way do i am i in a position especially heading into this week when we can almost anticipate they're going to try to pull some hand stunt and a rabbit out of their backside because they expect to to try to ruin the celebration of Christmas. They've been working on it over time anyway. We've got fuel issues, we've got inflation issues, we've got threats of food shortages. We have all this doom and gloom coming out. We have the disruption with Twitter is working both for and against us. I mean, some people are distressed by it, others are enlightened by it. Mainstream media has been completely silent on Twitter, which is important because that means as you walk into a family event and if you assume somebody in your family who's liberal has been exposed to Twitter, Probably not. And so the narrative hasn't changed from one year to the next. And, of course, then we had, which I'm not letting go of easily, by the way, just so I say it, we had this stunt by Trump to put red spandex Trump out there on NFT cards, which did nothing more than fuel of a mockery from the left, which only makes family relationships and building things from a political perspective nearly impossible. So when we look at the, the, when we look at the battlefield right now, And we start to identify where we can be successful and where we can't. One of the things that jumps out is politics is pretty much off limits. We're not going to make inroads by talking about the Trump's election of 2020 or loss thereof. And we're not going to make inroads into the 2022 scam because we can already see that what happened today with Carrie Lake and the attorney for Katie Hobbs. Katie Hobbs attorney is arguing that the only thing that defines voter suppression is the 3500 black men that were lynched between 18 I don't know something like 1851 to 1913 or something like that. All of this is the left's continued narrative that white people are privileged, that we need to be we need to accept lesser as we raise up the underprivileged group because this is always about a a master and slave relationship, which is what the left believes in. And in the process, you're going to have to lift off the oppressors and raise up the oppressed and the white people become the oppressors. This is their model. So in these things that we're looking at, these are, these are, you're going to run headlong into this with politics. But the question is, how do we build coalition and how do we build this? And I think when we get down to it and we start to talk about growing your own food, the healthiness of it, I think when we talk about The, we don't even have to, we we can get into difficult things, but we start talking about the growing of our own food, taking responsibility for our health. And that won't go over well with everybody, but at least it's a start. And also the idea of right work, meaning that we're going to take responsibility for the work that we do to earn our own living. You're going to get various, if you start to dissect the left, you're going to find that you're going to react to every one of these things, but there's within there, you're going to find an ability to move with them. And I don't, I'm not looking to build alliances here that are like going to be great friendships. We're going to sit around dinner and clink glasses because I'm not talking about that. And I'm really not even concerned about the extreme left. So I want to be clear about that. But there are some that are sitting on the fence right now, and there's others that just are unaware. And we have the opportunity to open the doors, and probably one of the most central points, the most radical thing anybody can do right now is to grow their own food. I have said that for three years. And I don't think... And I, when I continue to see what's going on and I continue to hear these narratives of people, I do see, even in Archbishop Figano, I see it in General Flynn, I see it in Trump, I see it in everybody, there is a absolute disconnect in understanding the ground action, the tactical action that will make a difference and a catalyst that will literally change the nation. If you don't have food, you starve. I mean, we know that that's obvious, but the left always thinks that the government's going to be there to protect them and to save them. And they can't imagine a situation where that won't happen. And when they do think about growing their own food, and we saw this in Chaz, if you remember that silly little experiment of building their own country up in Seattle, what we witnessed in Chaz were these retards that literally dug up a bunch of grass and threw some seeds and then literally wait, expected it to grow like tomorrow. And they started to run out of food. And it wasn't even a big enough garden to feed a family, let alone a whole community. But they didn't understand these principles because they've never done it. Most of the left and the, the progressive left right now lacks hands-on experience. And it's not tangible in any way. And so I think in our, in our where we're going is, as we continue to literally build our communities, and build our tribes, it is always, it's basically three things for me. It's one hand, and there, it is the reference as we have in scripture, in one hand there's a brick, and one hand your hand's on the hilt of your sword. That doesn't change because there a very real threat that comes at us. But there's that other dimension of all of this, which I think is very important, which is defined in Ezekiel three seventeen to 21, which is the watcher on the wall. And that's another reason why we have to continue to speak out to this and letting people know what is coming. Son of man, I have appointed you a watchman to the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, warn them from me. When I say to the wicked, you will surely die and you will not, and you do not warn him or speak out to warn the wicked from his wicked way that he may live that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Yet, if you have warned the wicked and he does not turn from the wickedness and from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered yourself. Again, when a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity, and I place an obstacle before him, he will die since you have not warned him. He shall die in his sins and his righteous deeds, which he has done shall not be remembered, but his blood I will require on your hand. However, if you have warned the righteous man that the righteous should not sin and he does not sin, he shall surely live because he took warning and you have delivered yourself. I, I, This passage to me resonates on so many levels to where we're at right now. There is a tendency as we have witnessed a continued hardening of the views of the left and the views of those that are walking in this denial phase. And it's not just the left because if we took the cross section of people that are listening to ABC, CBS, NBC, and CNN just to take four. And we are paying attention to what they're being told, which is nothing essentially except more fear porn about a coming flu season and the need to get more shots and all of the things that reinforce the Biden administration and the hoopla around the fact that they're going to arrest Trump. They're locked into a fervor, an emotional fervor that truly is allowing them to live in this matrix of lies. It is still our responsibility wherever necessary, wherever we can to give them a warning as watchers on the wall, because God's given us that duty as remnant, how we deliver that message. It's up to you. It's how God leads you. But I, there's the two methods which I think is worthy. Sometimes it's worth just hitting them hard on with a sledgehammer with truth and that there's nothing wrong with that, but that's not going to build a res- necessarily a positive response. It could actually build a, a, a negative response It's one way of pile driving a seed into hard ground, but it doesn't mean it will grow. The other is to find the avenues of commonality as we go forward here in having these discussions. I think often to the discussions that Christ had with prostitutes and tax collectors. And I ask myself many times, what was he doing? What was he talking about? And I can guarantee you that that type of discussion coming from prostitutes was very off color. And most churches, most Christians would be so put off by it that they would actually probably demand it to be silenced. And they would come call out the the prostitutes as heretic, if not just outright sinful beings to leave their presence. And yet Christ sat with them. There should not be an assumption that somehow they changed their dialogue simply because Jesus was sitting there. They were going to speak to him in the way of comfort and where he was and what they knew. So, that is, to me, what that is also showing is that it was a point of meeting them where they were. And as he met them where they were, he was very able to hear where they were and then able to provide the dialogues that would reach their hearts. That to me, ultimately, is the ultimate in sowing seeds. And I think right now in this process where we're at, in this time that we're in, in this holiday season that we're at, we have such amazing opportunity to do just that to literally meet so many where they are, it won't be easy. But then again, the narrow gate was never easy. The narrow path has never been said to be one that we will walk easily at all. And I would say that through the hand of Satan himself, we've had enough obstacles thrown in us in the last week that this mountain is going to be difficult to climb. Right now, for example, we're dealing, one of the things we're dealing with with those that have been buried in this narrative is, the, is a simple concept of grief. And that grief is in basically in five stages. So we have denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Right now, if you're listening to people that are deep in this narrative of the left, they're bouncing between denial and anger. And the two are going hand in hand. One is an outright denial that, anything's going wrong with Biden and the Trump is all bad. There is some modification happening to this a little bit where you're hearing like Biden's bad, but Trump is worse. It's like, okay, well, how is that happening? There's been enough interviews on the street interviews showing this as this is starting to become a pattern. Well, how is Trump bad? How is Trump worse? And the answers then provoke anger. Things like one interview I read the, or listened to the other day, a young lady says, I'm gay. As if that has anything to do with the price of tea in China. You know, I'm gay. Okay. Trump's horrible. Okay, why? And then the answer is in just vehement anger. It's, are you kidding me? I'm done with this conversation. So in this bouncing of denial and anger, the people that are asking these questions are asking them in a very neutral way. They're not provocative. They're being very level. They're actually being trying to be real, real, very reassuring. And we could say, well, that was a failure. And I would argue that was a massive success because they've brought somebody closer and again, sowing seeds to ask them to question. One of the most interesting points of where we are right now is we are in an unlocking of a cult right now. What people in the, in the alignment of mainstream media thinking, and then if you go to the alignment of the progressive left, which covers the span of climate change covers the span of progressive politics, inclusion, transgenderism, LGBTQ, all of that. This is one big umbrella of a cult and it's been very strategically designed and well reinforced to where breaking down the cult, deprogramming somebody from the cult is a massive task. That is something we should take to heart very dearly because deprogramming from a cult is going to require a number of things. One If we create a hostile environment to somebody that is in a cult, even if they step away from the cult, they will not feel safe to ever talk to you. If, however, you present truth and leave the truth, especially in terms of questions for them to ponder and to reflect upon, they may be very hostile to you in the moment. But as those questions seed themselves within the subconscious and work as like a burr on the heel of a on your heel in a shoe, it will wear through to where they themselves will begin to ask questions and then you will begin to witness something very miraculous in time. Those people will often turn to you to ask you for more detail. The propensity then is to move quickly and I would argue that we have to hold that back and to move steadily, not, not quickly. And we need to make sure that as we educate and become solid in ourselves, as as we are solid in scripture, we equally have to be solid in our perspective of information that we present to them. So I go back to kind of where I started. If you're going to start with somebody and start dropping on the issues of chemtrails, then make sure you can back it up with science fact or at least research fact. And we know that that there is research fact out there that can support that. If you're going to talk about child sex trafficking, you need to have some solid data. We have built a comprehensive picture around this to understand that all roads lead to child sex trafficking. But it's taken time. And in these conversations, we have to embrace the fact that many of these people don't have a span of time. They're being dumped on right now at a phenomenal level. Take a step back when you look at the world and the information flow. And realize that as we're witnessing things coming out, sometimes it's even boring because we're seeing stuff. It's like, I knew that four years ago. I knew that five years ago. I knew that three years ago. True, except many didn't. And so, where myself, I've been involved in some measure of questioning the institutions and the framework since easily since I was in middle school. So that puts me somewhere around 40 plus years. 43, 45 years of studying this in one form or another. And there's a lot of accumulated knowledge that I can't imbue to somebody immediately, and yet they are going to, if they had it, they would be stable and wise or stabilized and with greater wisdom in the moment would be a better way of saying that. And in addition to that, when we're dealing with people, most of the left have lost a a, knowledge need or desire to cognitively think through problems and they have lost an anchor in their relationship with God. They don't have it. So there's, there's no backing. So when you're, when we're pulling away their ideology, you're stripping away their belief system, which is a religion and they have nowhere to go. And this is where we have to have an empathetic heart and we have to be respectful of what happens there. We have to be working truly with the Holy Spirit there. Because if we're going to yank the rug on somebody and it's going to be us and God, and it's not God-led, we're going to be like the watcher on the wall. We're going to be accountable for the consequence. But as God puts things on our heart to work with people and we stay in that place of working with the Holy Spirit, these conversations will evolve in tremendous ways. And they won't be easy. Never will so much be asked of so few by so many that quote becomes increasingly so real because the information now is pouring down and people don't have years of processing. They're having to process this information in days, weeks, and in months ahead. And it's a lot to take in literally today as a movement. If you think about it, think where you were five years ago. And if I, and if I said five years ago, to many, and, and I can tell you a true statement on this, because I said it five years ago, I made some off-handed snark comment about lizard heads, and my mom just brushed it off like, oh, here you go again, your crazy stuff. Today, if I say lizard heads, she'll look at me, and she has said it recently. She said, yeah, that's possible. <laughs> that's the point I'm getting at right there, right? If all of a sudden we're walking out here, and all these people, and I'm just using this as an example, so be clear about this. But if all of a sudden you walk down the street and half the street is running around here and there are a bunch of lizard heads, we probably won't be that shocked. We'll be like, yeah, I didn't expect him to look that way but I was waiting for this moment. Not surprised, I'll believe anything. That's really where we've arrived at which is a profound place of stability, security, and, and, and anchoring on the rock of faith and our love and relationship with Father God. That gives us this enormous <laughs> strength to look at this and literally go, yeah, well, there we go. Didn't expect it but today, but thought it might be something and I would believe anything. Many people, though, will f- lose their flipping mind because they've never gone far enough outside the edges of the matrix or even to the edge of the matrix to comprehend something that profound and that crazy in their world. Our world is amazingly bizarre and we're witnessing that more and more, but yet it's perfect and I think this is the, and this is ultimately where we're ending tonight. God is walking us through this profound walk. It's the, it's a profound refinement, a fire of refinement. And as we walk and as we settle into him, and as I talked about last night, if you haven't heard it, it's a, I think I would recommend you listening to last night's show, Peace Be Still. We settle in on the breath of him and the peace that that brings. And we just are living within that body. There's literally nothing that can come at us. Literally, this is Isaiah fifty-four sixteen to 17. Behold, I have created the smith who blows the fire of coals and produces a weapon for its purpose. I have also created the ravager to destroy. No weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed and you shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their vindication from me declares the Lord. We're there. All we have to do is lean into him and trust. And we are truly there. And I think that what we will witness, my personal opinion, as we move forward, and probably more than just an opinion, because this has been put on my heart, but I'm cautious to proclaim this openly. But here's where I believe we are headed. That in this, as we continue to tuck in with him, The things that others will witness as miracles will simply be a natural state of event for us because we are living and moving through the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is using us to bring his children home. That time is near, I believe. How soon? Couldn't tell you. In your lifetime, my lifetime? Hopefully, but maybe not. But near in the perspective of biblical time. And it's happening, I think, rather profoundly because we are digging in so deep to Father God. And it's these sorts of profound moments as we're starting to witness ourselves how our health is remaining strong, how our spiritual health is getting greater, how we're able to endure these storms as if nothing, as if we're almost able to shut off the world. And it doesn't really exist unless we pay attention to it. Those are profound shifts from where we were a year ago, two years ago, five years ago. And that it makes us both, it makes it both difficult to relate at times and have empathy for the crazy that's going on. And on the other hand, it creates a profound position of leadership and inspiration for those out there that are struggling. And that's the part we need to hang on to the most, because that to me is the gift, the gift of walking in the body of Christ, the true gift of wisdom and love that's there that we're starting to step into and we're discovering little by little just how massively profound it is and how powerful it is. Any of those other tools of weapons when we fully embrace this that we have in our lives will be dwarfed by the magnitude of the kingdom power that's put within us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we're together and this fellowship that we have each and every day. And Jesus, we just are here tonight truly just in. Reaching into the body and reaching in as one body through you and so grateful for all that has been done, behold, and given us, given to us. And at the same time, seeking to walk with the wisdom and clarity and discernment that you had in this world. So much, Jesus, of what has happened in this world is It's always about trying to prove something better, always trying to sell a concept or a religion or a church. Right now, Jesus, we're just wanting to walk within your love and the strength and power of the grounding that comes from being truly within the power of kingdom. And as we do to be an attractor without necessarily having to speak a word, but just that people can recognize the Holy Spirit within us, can recognize your presence in and around us and so whatever that takes jesus we're just opening our hearts to welcome that in tonight to welcome that in a profound way that we truly become the change not necessarily by words we speak but by the way that we live the way that we walk the presence that we have the constant dialogue and living through you and through the body of christ into the wholeness of god just ask for that blessing as we open our hearts and humble ourselves before you, and to be guided into the ways that we must do, whatever that requires, that we can get deeper into that place and increasingly distance ourselves from this insanity matrix and yet continue to be the guides, the shepherds, and the disciples necessary to awaken the many and bring them home. Guide us and protect us in this holy time. And we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen a wonderful time in fact to challenge ourselves to be greater in the body of Christ. and this week in particular and I I don't know where each of you are I know where I'm at I'm not going to have to deal with much family other than my parents this week so that's good. And it's a it'll be a quiet and very peaceful week but there's some of you that may be in a situation where there's a bit of anxiety because of getting together with family maybe, don't have it. Just pray into it and let Jesus walk with you. And for each one of us, can we? I just hope that we each one of us can find that peace as we walk forward of just being solid in the body of Christ, not seeking confrontation or trying to prove anything, but simply letting the experience of Christ do its work through us and into others' hearts. In a final note tonight, and I mentioned it last night, and I want to mention it one more time tonight, Nancy R., it was one of us, part of Bars Nation, passed away over the weekend. We've prayed for her a couple of times. It's a sad loss. She was dealing with cancer. She had gone through a very difficult and very painful chemo process that whittled her down to somewhere around 60 or so pounds. She was just skin and bones. I've prayed for her, prayed with her, didn't have a chance to connect with her before she passed. But she was a beautiful soul, truly a beautiful part of this community. She relied on this community to get her through. So I just ask that you keep your prayers up for her and um, just pray that her soul finds its way home. And in a final note tonight of victory, I think this is an important one to hear. Dr. Eric Naputi, as you know, we prayed for him last night as part of our prayer. And um, he went into a big meeting today. Remember, the government had launched a $500 billion lawsuit against him over issuing vitamin D to people to keep them well. Against the advice of his attorneys, he set it up to where there would be a meeting with the judge. And for the first time, the judge on this case met with him and met him face to face. Now, Eric, in this process, has come deeply with the Lord deeper than he's ever been, and he just he turned, he turned a direction, a different direction to this to completely turn it over to God and say, look, wherever you lead me, I shall go. He wrote me this today. He said, the prayers worked. God is great. I won today. We just sent the devil back to D.C. with his tail between his legs. I'll reach out to you about it over the next couple of days and let you know what happened, but it was a huge victory. We literally embarrassed the government and the judge even reprimanded them. That was our prayers that backed him up in amazing action. Hang on to these victories. These are big victories and victories that we all need to celebrate with the power of prayer over the evils of Satan. So as we give prayer and give recognition to Nancy, who is now back home, we also give thanks for the victory that Eric received today a pretty good day, and we're just on Monday. They're not taking our joy away this week, Patriots. There's no way we will be victorious. Keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us, and God always wins. And He has us here in this time, in this place, for just such a time as this. We're at war, so walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land, expand the kingdom, subdue the enemy. Mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you tomorrow for Bended Knee. Until then or until the next time, God bless. Good night. Thank you. And out for now.
1: Oh, I want to feel something. you no, no.